So this morning I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, God's mission. Missio Dei is the fancy way of, of talking about that. I, I like to come back to that every year because um, when it's a chance to update us on what we're doing in, in our main mission uh, or our largest mission project, but also just to kind of remind us that uh, this really is not about us. Uh, it's, it's uh, to me at least, I think it's a very easy temptation for us to, uh, to kind of fall into thinking of uh, this, is, this is what we do and this is my idea and we're in charge of it. And so uh, this is kind of a chance just to reset us and be really clear about who this belongs to, uh, that this is about what God is doing and not about what we are doing. So um, I'm going to invite you to uh, kind of lean into that with me this morning. Uh, let's pray. Lord, let the, uh, the Spirit <laughs> come and hover over us and bring your power and presence in the midst of us that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight. For you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, we've been having some interesting power fluctuations this morning, so it, yeah, I'm just going to warn you, who knows what will happen. <clears throat> right, Frank? At 8.15, everything just went blank all of a sudden. Um, so I'm going to start... Yeah, it's, it's okay. I'm going to start uh, uh, giving you kind of God's mission statement, if you will, and Jesus' mission statement. For, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And I always like to remind people that when, when Jesus is sharing that, you know, it's, it's the whole world. It's not just us. It, it's all of creation is going to be saved and going to be transformed. And Jesus takes this mission and he extends it to his disciples. Uh, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more than comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. This, this understanding that, that God begins the work and it passes on through the Son and through the power of the Spirit gets passed on to the people of God and we are part of that chain. Uh, Paul's going to make that even more clear as he speaks to, uh, writes to the Ephesians. And he's going to remind them, for grace you've been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Paul, Paul's wording this very carefully here because he wants you to understand that we don't do our, the things we do, the, the works that we do. We do not do that as a way of earning our salvation. What was your phrase? It's not a down payment on future fa- favor. I love that, Dave. Um, uh, you know, we're not doing those. Uh, the gift of salvation is the gift of God's grace. It's freely given to us. What we do is in response to that. It's the way we live out the reality of that salvation uh, in those works which God has prepared for us to be part of our way of living. Jürgen Moltmann, uh, who was an early uh, person in articulating this whole concept of Missio Dei, uh, said, It is not the church that has a mission of salvation to fulfill in the world. It is the mission of the Son and the Spirit through the Father that includes the church. And I want you to hear that. It is not the church that has the mission of salvation. It's the mission of the Son and the Spirit through the Father that includes the church. And a little shorthand way of talking about that is that God the Father sends the Son. God the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit send the church. 
Um, in other words, it's, it's not our mission. This is God's mission that we are invited to be a part of. And to participate in that is to participate in the movement of God's love toward people since God is a fountain of sending love. Uh, one of the contemporary kind of writers in this area uh, talks about the church of Jesus Christ is not the purpose or goal of the gospel, but rather it's instrument and witness. Did you hear that again? The church of Jesus Christ is not the purpose or goal of the gospel, but rather it's instrument and wisdom, witness. God's mission is calling and sending us, the church of Jesus Christ, to be a missionary church in our own societies and the cultures in which we find ourselves. And the idea there is that it's uh, uh, not just about what we do somewhere else, uh, but, but what we do in, in, in the society in which we find ourselves, the people around us, our neighbors, the people we have contact with, all those kinds of places are places where we are to be in mission. So uh, I, I, every year I kind of, uh, to make this really clear, I, I kind of do a little def- defining with it. Uh, I talk about, you know, Missio Dei, which is God's mission, and Missio Ego, that's my mission, right? The stuff that centers around me. And I'm going to see if I can move through this right here. This little comparison kind of to, to help make it clear the difference between the two. Uh, Missio Ego is, is about I, me, I want to do this, that, or the other, whereas Missio Deis is asking uh, God wants to do what? What is it that God wants to have happen? Missio Ego is all about I think what I think. Uh, Missio Dei is about God thinks this and, and primarily revealed to us in Scripture. Uh, Missio Ego is all about we should do or I should do. Missio Dei is about God is doing and what is God already involved in. Missio Ego thinks we can solve this uh, Missio Dei recognizes we can't, but God is solving this problem. Uh, Missio Ego ta- says, uh, you know, my plan or our plan is this. Missio Dei says God's plan is this. Uh, when we encounter problems in the world, Missio Ego is always asking, who is at fault? Who do we blame? Uh, Missio Dei is saying, how is God glorified when we address that issue? Uh, Missio Ego, when it gets frustrated, will say, oh, it's impossible. Uh, Missio Dei will say, with God, all things are possible. And kind of the summation of that is, you know, Missio Ego is, you know, I'm in charge. This is my project. Uh, uh, Missio Dei proclaims that Jesus is Lord. Uh, It's very important for us to remember that that it belongs to God and we are invited into what God is doing. And it's so easy, it is so easy for us to slip back into it all being about me. Uh, and I, and I, I walk right in that with you. I share that with you, that it's very easy for us to begin to claim that for ourselves when actually it belongs to God. And all of us are called into this. Uh, the mission of God flows directly through every believer in every community of faith that adheres to Jesus. To obstruct this is to block God's purposes in and through God's people. We are all called into that. In fact, in the, in the front of our book of polity, the discipline, there's a statement that, you know, everybody who's a baptized believer, member of the church, is called to be a minister for Christ. Everybody is. In some way or another, everyone is called to join with God in this mission and to be reaching out into the world and witness. So having set that down, I want to uh, come back and talk to you a little about what we saw in Kenya uh, this past summer and kind of update you on that. Uh, And I want to give you a little history about that before we get into that. Uh, You'll remember back in 2009, um, a young woman in our church, Elizabeth Stevens, uh, had a burden on her heart for uh, clean water uh, in the developing world. She spoke to us on the Sunday when the youth lead worship about that, hoping to raise the money to drill one water well. We got money for three water wells that morning, three times what she was hoping for. 
And that raised a question for us about, well, okay, so who are we going to partner with in doing this? And we began to do some research. Uh, one of the things we learned as we dug into that and researched that was that in most of the world, when uh, different projects are drilling these wells, over a decade, 85% of them fail. They cease operating. And for us, that was an unacceptable outcome. So we started doing a little more research, and what we found eventually was that uh, with World Vision, when they put these wells in, in a decade, only 15% of their wells fail. And we started asking questions about, well, why is that and what are they doing differently, which led us into a conversation with them about the way that they put in place community structures uh, to support those projects, uh, groups that will uh, kind of be the shepherds and stewards of those projects and make sure that they continue to operate. And that led us into a discussion with them about an area development project, which is actually a bigger project that looks at the whole area and all the needs of the region and how do we lift up the whole community. Now, at the same time I'm having, I'm having this conversation with World Vision, over here on the other side, I've got Mike Slaughter, who uh, is in a small group with me, uh, speaking in my ear and saying, okay, so what is your church doing? You know, not only to address the issue of the people in your community right around you, uh, but, but how are you reaching out and addressing people in the world who are in the, the worst possible places? Um, my, and Mike can be really annoying about that, incidentally. Uh, so, so Mike's speaking into my ear about that. And, and so we came back to World Vision. We said, okay, tell us about this area development project. Area development project looks at a large region. In our case, it's uh, the southern half of Kakamega County in western Kenya. It's the poorest region of Kenya, 65,000 people, mostly of the Luya tribe. Uh, and, and in this area, uh, the first thing that happens is the World Vision people go in and they start conversations with the leaders of the community. You know, what's going on in your community? What are the needs? What things are really pressing on you? Uh, what are your concerns? And they, they spend several years in those conversations developing a plan for what needs to happen in that community. How do we, how do we lift this community up and, and what do the people in this community uh, identify as things that need to happen so that the community leaders are invested in the process? At the end of that time, then, they begin the first phase of the project, actually, uh, which is basically infrastructure needs, uh, kind of basic things that need to happen uh, for people's health and well-being. Uh, when that is completed, the next section, which is phase two, is building all these community structures that are going to support those projects. So every project that's taken on has a group of people who are charged with being stewards of that project, and they make sure it's maintained, that it's sustained, and it continues to operate. And the third phase of that project then is what they call self-sustaining, where the, the community takes complete ownership of the project and they actually are, are spreading it out and continuing to work with it with only minor kind of help from World Vision. So our project in Kenya right now is moving from phase two into phase three. That's where we're at and that's what we went to see. So uh, <clears throat> I'm going to have some pictures. I want to show you some pictures just to kind of give you an idea of what's going on and, and so you can kind of see the progress that's occurring over there. So when we went, uh, the first time we went on a vision trip from this congregation was in 2012, six years ago, uh, and we went in, and, uh, and this is one of the schools we saw, and you'll recognize that it's a typical construction for Africa, but you can recognize it's fairly simple, uh, not very durable. <clears throat> that's what the, the building outside of a lot of the buildings look like. This is a particular classroom in Kavaiwa Primary, which is one of the schools we've had uh, a lot of relationship with. And the gentleman with the blue cap there uh, is the uh, headmaster, or we'd call him principal of the school, uh, lead teacher is what they call them. Uh, and you can see in this classroom that it's uh, in rather rough shape. 
uh, by our standards at least. Uh, but this is what a lot of the classrooms look like. It was typical of the area. The school at that time, it's grades one through uh, six. The school at that time had about five, 600 students uh, because one of the big problems is that education was not valued in this area. So these kids, when they would turn 12 or 13, the boys would be sent to the sugarcane fields to work. Uh, the girls would usually be sold into marriage at that point. Uh, and the average lifespan was about 42 uh, in the region. Now, I want you to see that picture because the next picture I'm going to show you is what we saw August 2018 when we went. So this exact same classroom now looks like this. It's the exact room. Uh, the building's been totally redone, completely reconditioned. Electricity's been running. It has audiovisual. It has real furniture in it. Uh, the whole school has been rebuilt in this way, plus there's been two wings added to the school. Uh, and so all of the school is up to this standard now of construction. And, and when we pulled up, what met us was 1,000 students who are now involved, grades 1 to 6. Uh, they are all in uniform. They all have school supplies. Uh, so I, I want you to hear that not only was it that the buildings were upgraded, but there's been a huge shift in the understanding of the community. Parents are keeping their kids in school. There's twice as many students in this uh, school now as there were six years ago. And, and you can see they're, they're all, they all have uniforms. They all have their supplies. They have everything they need. Uh, their parents are supporting them in, the, in this. And, and you know, to pull up and have a 1,000 young men and women you know, all in blue come out to meet you is, frankly, a little intimidating. I mean, you know, to be honest. Uh, so we came. They greeted us uh, there. And uh, their fifth grade uh, class has a spoken verse team, uh, which was preparing to go to the national competition in Kenya. I, I tried to find out how they did. I haven't been able to get that back yet, that news back yet. But they were uh, preparing to go and compete at a national level in the spoken verse competition. Uh, a huge shift, not just in the structure, but in the mentality of the community about the importance of education for children. Uh, keeping them in school not only gives them a better opportunity down the line is what we're familiar with, in Kenya, it also means better health, better life, everything. It's, it's huge. Most of the schools when we went in 2012 had uh, latrines that looked like this. Uh, these are basically sheds over a hole in the ground, which some of our members found somewhat intimidating. Um, now, if you go now, uh, what you'll encounter, instead of these structures, you'll see something like this. This is a VIP latrine. That is a ventilated, improved pit latrine. And... Uh, uh, it's, still, it's still a hole, but, but it's got concrete and it's got venting and all that. It's much more sanitary and hygienic than what they had. And that's been a major focus of the project has been improving hygiene and sanitation in the area. And so these are what uh, all the schools have these kind of latrines now all across the region uh, and, and are available to the kids and to the teachers both. Um, and, you know, it, it just takes a little practice, folks. But that's all I'm going to say about that. Across the region, there are a number of uh, clinics and dispensaries that have been built. There's 12 of these in the area. Uh, and if you look at this one in particular, you can see this trench. Uh, this is where a water line was run into it, so now they all have running water uh, run to them. Uh, but there's 12 of these, and, and the people in the community have now learned that they have health care available to them. Uh, the first time we went, uh, when we entered in that community, if somebody was... Uh, diagnosed with HIV, uh, the usual course was that that person was placed in a room and basically left to die. Um, now they understand there's medical treatment, there's support, so forth. There's a support group that works with these folks. 
And, uh, and so uh, there's, there's a strong community uh, that's supporting them. And the whole attitude around that has changed and, and the lifespan has increased in a huge way. Uh, so there's a major shift in the understanding that they can go and get health care and they can take their kids and get health care, uh, which was something that was not accessible to them prior to 2012. Uh, this is a champion farmer. Uh, this gentleman right here, uh, his name is Jeffrey, and this is his son. Uh, Jeffrey was working in the oil fields in northern Kenya when uh, he got word that his wife and daughter, uh, who were in Matete, had died from malaria. Uh, he came home, uh, found his son who was staying with a relative, uh, and he purchased this, this piece of property. I think it's about two acres of land that he bought as a farm. And uh, on this farm, he began to farm and, and uh, was very industrious, and the World Vision staff noticed that. And so they went to Jeffrey, and they said, we'd, we'd like to, to help you with your farm. And so they began to teach him some things in terms of crop rotation so that you don't deplete the fields and what grows well and what doesn't grow well and how to irrigate and all these things. And uh, Jeffrey was an amazing student, uh, learned really well. I mean, you can tell his, his field, this is August, and you can see what it looks like. Uh, and so he's involved in all of this. Um, he produces enough food on two acres to feed himself, to feed several parts of his extended family. And he showed us his ledger book, uh, literally, you know, like what we used to do with old, old paper ledger. And in his ledger book, as of the end of June, as of the end of June, he had netted more than most people in Kenya make in a year off two acres, off two acres of land. And so World Vision went back to him and they said, you know, Jeffrey, you've done such an amazing job with this. We want, we want you to train other farmers. So he's become a champion farmer. So in addition to doing his own farm, he is training other people in the community how to do this same process, how to rotate crops and do different things to, to maximize the yield of their land. Now, the interesting thing with Jeffrey, see this, this little building back here? There were a couple of little buildings like this on his property that a previous owner had had, and, and he wasn't using them for anything. And we asked him, you know, what are you going to do with these the buildings? And he says, well, I'm thinking at some point I want to start raising chickens on the land. Okay. So during the week we were there, we were given four chickens as gifts uh, while we were there. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever tried it, but the TSA will not let you bring a live chicken on the airplane. So we couldn't bring them back. And, uh, and so we're in the conference room at the office with four chickens and the Matete staff, uh, three hens and a rooster. And we're going, okay, guys, we can't take these home. Uh, what do you all think? Uh, do you all know someone that would be good for these to go to? And they said, well, what if we give them to Jeffrey to start his chickens uh, and Absolutely. So Jeffrey now is raising chickens on this piece of property as well, and he is teaching other people how to do it. Now, I want you to hear the important pieces I'm, I'm throwing out here as I go along, that not only do, do we have classrooms and equipment, but now we have parents who understand the importance of education and are supporting their children in that, that not only do we have uh, dispensaries, but we have a community that understands that health care is available and supporting people in that, not only do we have farms that are successful, but the farmer is teaching other people how to be successful in that. It's important for you to hear this continuation piece in all of this. This is a woman we met uh, the first day we were there um, and got to hear from. Uh, she has a, a business in the area in Wabuye. And um, as we talked with her, uh, we got her story, which is uh, when World Vision set up here, she was living under a piece of shed with her uh, piece of tin with her son and begging on the street. Uh, in some of the tribal areas, not all, not just some of the areas, but in some of the tribal areas in Africa, when children are born with uh, significant physical challenges, uh, they are either abandoned or they are just left out in the elements and for the animals. Um, 
her son was born blind, and she refused to do that, so her husband abandoned them, and she uh, was basically begging to uh, get enough food for the two of them to eat. When the World Vision staff came in and they encountered her and her son, uh, they asked her if she had any skills, and she says, well, I do know how to sew. And so they put her in a temporary housing situation. They got her one of those treadle-type uh, sewing machines. You may remember those, some of you who are old enough, uh, because there wasn't electricity running in the area at that time. And, uh, and discovered that she actually was a very good seamstress. In fact, she was so good that the demand for her clothing uh, was quite strong. Strong enough, in fact, that she had to hire a couple of other people to come and help her sew. And she bought her first house for she and her son to live in. World Vision recognized her skill and her ability, so they took her and they taught her how to use the computer uh, at one of the computer centers that had been built by then. And uh, she uh, learned how to get online and do these different programs where you take someone's measurements and you put it in and it creates a custom pattern for that person. What we would think of as a tailored uh, piece of clothing, or the British would say is bespoke clothing. Um, And so she began to make tailored clothing in this area, which is almost unheard of in this region. And that was hugely popular, and pretty soon she had to hire more people to help her. She bought her second house, rented her first house out. World Vision went back and said, we want you to start teaching classes on this. So now she is teaching classes to other women, not only about how to sew, but how to use the computer, not only for sewing, but for other skills as well. And she has had to hire more people. She's bought her third house. She rents her first two out. So she has two rental houses. She employs about 12 or 15 women at at various times in her business. Uh, She is supporting herself. Her son is now attending a private school for children that are blind in the region. And incidentally, you can't see him in the photo. Uh, He's behind this woman that's standing. Uh, But he's there in a suit that she had sewn for him. And uh, this is her own design. The dress she's wearing is one of her own designs. And uh, she is doing amazingly well. And in this community, it's quite prosperous. But here's the important thing. Not only is she doing well for herself, but she is using her uh, you know, wealth and her uh, standing in the community to lift up other people along with her. And so that's being passed on to others. And again and again, you're going to hear that refrain where they are going from a place where they are basically wondering how they're going to eat the next day to a place where they've become stable and now they begin to lift up other people with them. This is the Bali Bio CBO, community-based organization. This is a group of women that began uh, meeting under a tree uh, about four or five years ago. Uh, They were women who were on their own. Uh, Their husbands were either dead or gone, and they were wondering how to support themselves. And so they came together and began a conversation. And this is a strong group of women. I mean, I'm telling you, this this is a powerhouse. Uh, And they came together, and they started off by making peanut, what we call peanut butter, uh, and selling that, and, uh, and that sold pretty well, and that enabled them to do a little bit of cooking for other people, and that went pretty well. And, and uh, to give you an idea of their ability, at that point they went and they talked a man into giving them the land for a nursery. And they begin a nursery on which they're growing plants and selling them. Uh, when we saw them a couple of years ago, uh, they had Alan Goldsberry ready to buy everything in their store. Uh, the, I, these, these women could sell anything anywhere, I'm just telling you. Um, so now this group has been in existence about four years. Uh, when we went back this year, uh, this is one of the tents they have. They have tents, tables, and chairs where they can cater up to 200 people at a meal. Uh, and all the kitchen stuff to support that. They do a lot of catering around the region for all kinds of family gatherings, funerals, weddings, all those kinds of things. They're the primary ones that did that. They cooked our lunch every day. We ate with them every day. 
Um, they uh, have expanded the nursery uh, by a factor of three. It's three times as large as it used to be. Their peanut butter is now sold nationwide in a national grocery store chain uh, across the country and is widely available. Uh, they are employing about 20, 25 people uh, in their business. They have bought the building they started off in. They're a major economic powerhouse in the region. And they, all those letters that you write to your children, they have taken that over. Uh, that's part of their mission is uh, their employees and people that they know, uh, they have organized that. So they're in charge of getting those letters out to your children and bringing them back. So they've taken that function over from World Vision. Uh, five years. This is five years. I want you to, I want you to hear. Uh, this is an amazing group. I'm pretty sure when I go back next time, they're going to own the whole town. Uh, but uh, they're an amazing group of women and uh, talented one of their leaders is a woman by the name of Beatrice, uh, and she's holding this trophy here, and what you can't probably read is right there, it says Best Area Program. This is a, an award that was given to the Matete ADP by Kenya, the World Vision of Kenya as the best area development project in the country. Well, out of 52 projects, this one was singled out as the best one, and, uh, and she, uh, as, a, is, as an instrument in the whole project, uh, she's very involved in that. You can just see the the joy and the pride on her face at uh, that. She brought it uh, and presented it to Florence Career, who is the manager, uh, current manager of the Matete ADP project. So we started with water over there, and this is an interesting story. Um, the first time we went, a lot of the water was like this. There's a seat coming out right here, and you can see it gathers here. Um, the problem wasn't that they didn't have water. The problem was that they didn't have safe water. Uh, there's plenty of water in the region. Uh, but they were gathering water from this. Frequently, the women were walking six to eight kilometers to gather water for their families. So they were spending a lot of time doing that. The water was not safe. It wasn't clean. It was a major contributor to child mortality. Uh, when we first went, uh, two out of every five children would die before the age of five from waterborne illnesses. Uh, and so uh, that was a huge uh, push early on. Remember, Lizzie raised money for three wells when, when she got up and spoke. Uh, World Vision actually found matching grants and drilled nine wells uh, in this area. And then we later funded another three on top of that. So there are 12 boreholes in this area. They look something like this. Um, there's a solar array that creates the electricity to pump water up into these elevated tanks. And then it gravity feeds out into the area. Uh, there's also 25 protected springs in the area, which are set up. Uh, to move water out through the area as well. Uh, that water goes out to a number of kiosks all across the region. Uh, and now not only are there kiosks where people can go and get water, but the water even has been run into the different villages and there's a lot of people have standpipes right outside their homes where they have safe drinking water. Uh, the child mortality rate has dropped tremendously uh, because of this. It's probably the, the one single thing that has saved more lives in this area than anything else. I mean, this project alone literally, literally is saving thousands of children's lives every year. Uh, so this has been going on. And, and ladies, you need to know there are several, I don't know how many kilometers of pipeline now laid throughout this community. Remember, this is supplying 65,000 people. I don't know how many miles of pipeline there are, but, but the women of the community installed all the pipeline. They dug the trenches and they laid the pipe for all of the pipe in the water system. Gentlemen, I don't know what the guys were doing. Sorry, hang your heads in shame. Uh, but the women did that work and made that possible. 
So we have this huge project. This was actually the last time I was there uh, two years ago. Uh, the water systems as such, actually all the physical work had been completed. What was different this time was we went and got to visit uh, here at the Matete Water Project, which was the very first one that was begun. Uh, this is their office back here. Uh, here's my friend Laura Williams here. You can see Ron Lyle over here. Uh, these three ladies right here, these three young women, uh, are what's different about this. This project, having been up and running now for a while, you know, the, the board of directors, if you will, of the project, operates it, makes sure it has it, but they realized they had some funds. They were, they were actually making some money on this project, and they had some extra funds. And so they went, and they bought these three young women off the marriage market. Uh, they were getting ready to be sold, and they bought these women, uh, paid the dowry for them, uh, set them up in a temporary and some housing, uh, provided clothing for them, provided school supplies for them. Uh, they are interning at the project, learning how the water system works and helping to operate the water system. Uh, they are being uh, supported as they finish their education there in the community. And then the water system has committed to send them to University of Nairobi for degrees in hydrology uh, so that they will be trained to replicate these kind of water projects in other parts of Africa. Now, to me, that's just mind-boggling. Um, I mean, it's amazing that the water project is doing what it's supposed to be doing, and it's, it's up and operating. But now they've extended beyond even their primary mission to think about how can we impact the community uh, and done so in a very powerful way. And uh, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what these three young ladies do as they go on through their education. Uh, so it, it's an amazing movement to go from where we're, we're just thinking about how to survive to how do we even get outside of our own area and, and lift up other people in the community. And this is the story we heard over and over. These are the pastors of the community, or some of the pastors of the community. There's 85 churches uh, in the area, uh, and they have been instrumental uh, partners throughout this process. Um, it's through the pastors and the churches that they've convinced parents to keep their kids in school and the importance of education. It's through the pastors and the churches that they've taught people about uh, health and sanitation practices and the importance of doing that. It's through the churches that they organize the women to lay the pipeline for the water system. Uh, it's through the churches. I mean, it's just gone on and on. Now, World Vision has provided these pastors with training in uh, scriptural, uh, reading scripture, interpreting scripture, teaching, preaching, all those kinds of things. But, but these folks have also been partners with World Vision in educating the community and, and creating change in the community. And currently, their current project is they're doing marriage enrichment across the area. Because in this area, one of the primary drivers of poverty is uh, families where the husband has either died or has left. Uh, and incidentally, that's the same, one of the same main drivers of poverty in the United States. Um, and so they're going into these areas and they're teaching them how to keep their marriages strong and maintain their marriages. And we had a morning where we got to sit with them and listen to them talk about all the, the workshops that they had done all over the region and the impact that was having on the communities, but also the impact it was having on them, their own marriages. Uh, and so uh, we had a great morning getting to visit with them and they are um, truly uh, amazing partners in this ministry and doing a lot of the work of change in that community. As we're there, we also visit with our sponsored children. And uh, you can see uh, here, uh, you can see here uh, John Wolfhope sitting here with that big smile on his face uh, and the lays around his neck as he's visiting with the family of his sponsored child. Um, we get to go in and, and see how they're doing. And, you know, it's amazing. And if you're getting letters from your children, 
I think you probably are noticing they're getting bigger growing up. My wife just got one the other day, and she goes, oh, my gosh, she's so different. She's changing so much. I'm going, well, yeah, you know, she's 12 years old. That's what happens. Uh, but, you know, it's an amazing thing to watch. But what we also are seeing with them is uh, improvement in lifestyle, clothing, education, all those kinds of pieces we're seeing played out in their families. And those of you that are sending extra funds to help with uh, cattle or whatever, uh, we're seeing the impact of that when we go and visit these individual families as well as across the community. So uh, that's a piece of joy that we get to have when we go. Um, this is the uh, actual staff that is working there now. Uh, as we've gone through the years and different needs have happened, some of the staff has changed and different people have come in. Uh, and you can see right over my shoulder, this woman right here is Florence Career. She's the current manager of the project. She's an amazing person. Uh, and I, I you know, went in this year and I, and I told them partway through the week, I, I don't know how y'all are doing it, but every time I come here and the staff has changed, y'all keep finding equally amazing people to come and be part of the staff. Uh, they are a tremendous group of young men and women who are working on this project and driving this project over in uh, Kenya. And so we get to uh, come and spend time with them. What I want you to hear on that is that, you know, th there's this transformation that's taking place. And, you know, when we got into this, we knew what was supposed to happen. Um, but this time when we went, we actually saw that it really was happening, uh, that we've gone from that place of, uh, you know, just keeping people alive to, you know, how do we keep them alive and, and keep the, the wheels turning uh, to now that's stabilized. And they're thinking about, the people in the community are thinking about, how do we lift up other people in the community? They're taking over that role. Uh, they're living into that, which is what we want to see. That transformation is taking place. You need to understand that this congregation is one-third of the private funding of this project. We're 20% of the total funding for the project. Um, so we're, we're not all of it, but we have a major role to play. Uh, but to go and to see what God is doing with what we send over there and other people send over there and the pastors there are doing and the staff is doing and all these people to go and see that change is amazing. Laura and I, who have been the two that have, were there in 2012 and then back in 2018, at several moments uh, through the time we were there just found ourselves kind of overwhelmed uh, and, and you know, kind of crying together over all of the things that have happened in this place. Just pure joy to see the changes taking place. Uh, and that's, that's when we come alongside God and we, we lay aside our agendas and we step into what God is doing, uh, that's what we find. God does far more than what we ever imagined. God takes the little bit we do, multiplies it, and does amazing things. Now, I'm just going to flip through some slides here and show you. There, there's lots of other things happening in this church in case you're thinking that maybe... Uh, uh, you know, going to Africa and making one of these trips might be a bit more uh, much for you or something. You know, there's a lot of other things that are happening in this congregation uh, that are important, that are occurring all around us all the time that you can participate in, uh, that maybe God is calling you to be part of and to participate. So uh, when you leave today, as you walk out of here, uh, there's a table uh, where uh, the mission team has some information about these different ministries and can... Uh, uh, connect you with the contact person for that or you can make a donation to that and they're uh, out there available uh, there's a table where you can find out more about sponsoring children in uh, Kenya and if so uh, would like to do that uh, they're ready to discuss that with you uh, there is a table or the podium uh, thing out there that has bags on it that looks something like this uh, this is from our student ministries they are collecting food for Thanksgiving for families 
Uh, this will go to uh, some of the families and schools that we provide the backpacks to on the weekends. Also some families, hopefully, in a, a Hill Country Community Ministries. Uh, there's instructions on here. You put the items in the bag. You put a check, I think, for $20 or $25 with it uh, to buy the turkey that goes with it. And then they're going to deliver these uh, out to the various families. I would really like it if by the time you finish leaving today, there's no more of these bags out there. So subtle hint. Um, uh, just something that we can do. Uh, you'll also find there's an a insert in your bulletin that lists some things that you can do, and I think Dave lift, listed that up to you earlier. Uh, but all that information's out here. Additionally, in the back of the pews are these cards, commitment cards. They're still here um, because, like sponsorship money is what drives World Vision, uh, this commitment is what drives the ministry of this church. So if you have not made that commitment, I invite you to do that as well. Um, but lean into, uh, in all of this, you know, what God is doing and ask, you know, okay, God, what, what are you doing and where do you want me to come? And remember that uh, the end result of all these things uh, is the glorification of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, it's not so we can pat ourselves on the back and say, man, aren't we awesome? It's not so we can say, boy, aren't we wonderful? It's not so we can take credit for things that don't belong to us. Uh, but it's the opportunity just to come alongside what God is doing uh, and be part of this amazing work of saving and transforming the world that God is about. And, and just the, the, the sheer blessing and joy to be able to be a part of that. And let's pray. Mighty God, we give you thanks that uh, in spite of the mess that we have made of this world, uh, that you still are in love, working to save and transform it. And we give you thanks that in spite of the mess that we sometimes are, uh, you invite us into that work with you. Um, that we get to see what you're doing firsthand that goes far beyond anything we would ever imagine. And we get the joy, we get the joy of watching how in love you are saving and transforming this world. So, so open our eyes and our hearts and our spirits that we might be able to discern where you are inviting us into your mission in the midst of this world. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.